And let's turn to Mark chapter 4 for our scripture reading. There was just one song to get us going there. Good. Mark chapter 4. I, I hope your hope is not in the government. Is your hope in the government? Is your hope in presidents? Is that our ultimate hope? Is our hope in a, in a political party? <laughs> our hope is in the living God. Amen? That's what that song means. Mark chapter 4. We're reading through the Gospel of Mark in our scripture readings. And it happens to hit on the very passage, the parallel passage to the one we're going to preach on in Matthew chapter 13. Mark chapter 4. Listen as we read parable of the sower. And this gives us insight into how people receive the word. And again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Into the good soil and produce grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That sounds like a farming seminar, doesn't it? If he didn't give an explanation for it, we would just think he's telling, giving, giving us an agriculture lesson, right? Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside of everything, it, it is in parables. So that, may indeed see, that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear and not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And now he's going to explain it. The sower sows the word. And those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. And, verse 16, And these are the ones on, sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, and those are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil, verse 20 of Mark 4, those, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That's quite a yield, isn't it? 
And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? And not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, says it again, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And again, he's especially speaking to Pharisaical type people. That if you're going to dish it out, God's going to dish it out back to you. If you're going to judge people harshly, God's going to judge you. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God. It's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. But the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Then when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, verse 30, With what will you compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds of their time, very small seed. It's like the grain of a mustard seed, which, when it's sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. The Lord will spread his word, and a whole bunch of people are going to get saved kingdom of God, it does grow. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately, and when we preach on this from Matthew 13, the parallel passage will explain some of this, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. How blessed we are who know Christ. He gives us the mysteries of the kingdom. Verse 35. Now, if you're one who gets worried about things, good verse. On that day, when evening had come, he had said to them, let's go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, and the boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, the boat's really, you know, moving around quite a bit. They're getting a little worried, so they figured they'd wake up Jesus. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great, great statement. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? That's a good question for everyone to answer. Let's pray. And I'll give you a moment to talk to the Lord on your own. Lord, we thank you that Jesus died 
rose and ascended. But before he did that, Lord, we thank you for his example of preaching the word in all kinds of cities and towns. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus himself is the great sower. And we thank you, Lord, that the job of sowing has come down to us. And we thank you that we have the privilege of being ministers of reconciliation, of sharing the good news with people, of preaching the word. We pray, Lord, that I pray that all of us who know you would do such a thing. We do it individually, we do it as a team, but that your word would come forth from the church. The gospel, the gospel seed would go forth to many people. And so I ask that you would make us fishers of men like the early disciples. I pray that even your word today would make us think that there are people out there who are going to hear the word, receive it. They're going to become born again. And then they're going to yield much fruit. And Lord, that they will reach even other people. And then too, Lord, in the storms of life, we thank you that you are with us in a real sense. And thank you that you have this sovereign control over all things. You work things out providentially. Your guidance and care over us is a good guidance. Even if a sparrow, Lord, falls to the ground, you know about it. Your knowledge and your guidance of the universe is an amazing thing to us. And so we are in awe of you. What type of God is this? A great God, powerful God, a sovereign God. Thank you that even the wind and the sea obey Jesus. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, too, to have a good word for each other in our short greeting time. Use this time in a good way, Lord, for us to encourage one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm starting to get used to this thing that's on my head here. I... I feel like an air traffic controller, and I should be saying that flight 222 from Los Angeles is cleared for landing. But I, I do like this. And praise the Lord for all the men that have worked on all these things that, um, that make our, our services uh, more clear on the Internet. So that's a blessing in YouTube and whatever else, Facebook. So praise the Lord for that, for all you that have worked on that. Let's have a moment of prayer again, and we'll get started. You can turn to Matthew chapter. Lord, we really do want to understand your word this morning. We want to understand how you work. We want to understand your ways. We want to understand so much more about evangelism. We want to understand how we can be faithful to what you've called us to do in nations. So I ask that you'd help us to that end.
power of your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I went to a garage sale the other day, as I usually do, and uh, there was a man. There was a man who collects comic books. And he actually, I've gotten to know this man a bit, and he showed me some of his 17,000 comic books. Imagine that. 17,000. And this man has his comic books all in plastic. In fact, I took some comic books from my house and showed them to him. To, and he can evaluate them on the spot. He even put one in plastic for me. Of course, I don't take care of mine like he takes care of his. He's so advanced in comic books that he has a press to press them down and to make them better so that they are worth more, more value. And he has comic books that are worth thousands of dollars and on and on. But it makes me think made me think. Some people take care of comic books and better than the Bible. Is that something? Or receive comic books better than the Bible? Shouldn't the Bible be received by everyone? Shouldn't the Bible be really um, valued and highly considered? I like what, it's, what Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, because they received the word of God the right way. Listen to what he says. And we also thank God. Accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. They received the word of God the right way. After all, the Bible is the inspired Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God and good for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. And when it is received rightly, it transforms people's lives. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, and also the Bible is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the human heart. But when you and I witness, you know that not everybody receives the Bible the same way. In fact, some people reject it, right? I've told you before that the Jesus film we give out, most people are taking it. But I found some people these days that don't want to hear nothing about Jesus. Not even a little. And I start talking with them and the conversation drops. We'll talk about that because we're talking this morning about the parable of the sower. And there are some people that the devil just steals the word of God away. I've been meeting some people like that, not, not as many, thankfully, who are quite like that. Others may be polite and still be rejecting the word, of course. But let's go to Matthew 13 for the parable of the sower. And we're going to see the different responses to the word of God. Responses to the word of God. There's at least four different responses, four in this account at least. Matthew chapter 13. And again... We started this some weeks ago, but I want to get you back into it. So go to verse 1. Jesus is not teaching from a pulpit here. It says there in verse 1, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so he got into a boat and sat down. So in this case, the preacher's sitting down and the people are standing. Probably less people would fall asleep in practice, right? But then it says, The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. What's a parable? 
Well, the word literally means to lay something alongside. So think of it as a store, a truth laid beside a story or a story laid beside a truth. Say, what do you mean? A practical story that illustrates spiritual truth. But the meaning is not always so obvious. Because remember, Jesus is going to use parables to conceal truth from people and to reveal it to his own guys. Right? So a lot of times a parable will make a comparison. So, he says a sower went out to sow. A sower is a what? It's a person that just sows seeds. I guess a farmer. Is this a seminar on farming? An agricultural class? Well, it sounds like it at first, right? And this kind of lesson, by the way, would be familiar to first century Jews. Uh, by the way, I, I, my, uh, my great garden yielded three tomatoes. So that's about the extent of my going, little tiny ones. I don't even, I don't even know, where to, know if we ate them. I don't know what happened to them. Uh, we're not, I'm not much of an agriculturist, but people back then were. Verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Well, that makes sense. They didn't even get into the ground. The seeds would just fall on some hard you know, uh, path that people walk on, and that's it. Birds came and took it away. Verse 5. He's not mentioned anything spiritual here, right? Although there's a meaning behind it, obviously. Other seeds fell on the rock and had much soil, and immediately they sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And we covered this a couple weeks ago, but I'll just say this. Apparently there was a rock bed underneath the soil, and there wasn't enough room for there to be proper roots. Again, this is like a seed germination seminar. So far, agriculture, seed germination, farming. I mean, what's he saying? Verse 7, other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them. All right, if you have weeds, you've got to get rid of weeds, especially if your weeds have thorns. It's going to kill the plants. Well, thank you, Jesus. What's he saying? Verse 8, soil and produce grain, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. Well, that's quite a. Now, that's kind of odd as far as agriculture. I mean, I think in a whole year, but that's quite a yield, hundredfold for plants. And then he says this: He who has ears, let him hear. And we could say ears to hear. Everybody's got ears. Whoever's got ears, really listen. That's the point. Really listen. So what's going on? The disciples might be a little confused at this point. They're used to Jesus giving them direct truth, right? Just saying it straight out. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. But now he's telling stories or he's giving illustrations. So that's why, look at verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus, I thought you want to reach these people. Why are you giving them stories and they don't know what's going on? And to some extent, Jesus, we don't even know what's going on. Verse 11. Jesus answered them and said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. First thing that comes to my mind, think of how blessed you and I are 
to know the truth that set you free and the mysteries that were hidden even in Old Testament times. Mysteries in the Bible were things that were concealed to some extent during that time period and now fully revealed now. And you and I know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Jew and Gentile together. There's a mystery that was revealed. Jew and Gentile together worshiping Messiah and understanding so much about Jesus. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are blessed. And so Jesus said to his disciples, to you guys, it's been given to know these things. In other words, I'm going to reveal the truth of what this parable means to my people. But to others, no. Has been given. Notice, to you it has been given. That's a, that's a passive. In other words, God did it. God gave it to you. You didn't actively grab it. He gave it to you. We could call that a divine passive and certainly has election in mind, the doctrine of elections in mind. Even in that verse, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So what do you mean? Well, the main thing is that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that died for the sin of the world rather than being a conquering king that the Jews thought he would be. So for many of the Jews of that time, they weren't going to understand that Jesus was a suffering servant at that point when he died. They're still thinking he's going to take over Rome. They don't got it. They don't understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And so Jesus, on the other hand, is going to conceal, God's going to conceal the truth from others. Look at verse 2. And one commentator said, concealing the truth from those denying the obvious. The Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders were seeing his miracles and hearing his words. It, was, it should be obvious to them who Jesus is. But since they rejected it, now it's going to be concealed to them. Does that make sense? For to the... Jesus says, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Wow. Jesus is saying, to those of you who by the grace of God have been receiving the truth, more will be given to you. But for those who have been rejecting the truth, even what they had is going to be Look at verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 6, by the way, is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And then here it is. Verse 15 helps us. Watch. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes... Who's closed their eyes? They have closed. You know, when people harden their hearts, God has the option of hardening, them, hardening their hearts further. Do you realize that? Didn't he do that to Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then God allowed for his heart to be hardened even more. You know, when you read these kind of things, you sit back in awe of God. He is so sovereign and he so sovereignly guides the universe in human activity. Who can question it? They harden their hearts. He's going to allow for their hearts to be hardened even more. By the way, in the end times, same thing. Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? In the end times, people are going to reject the truth. They're following the Antichrist and all that, right? And all kinds of deceptions. In the end times, the lawless one will be revealed, Paul says in 
Second Timothy, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter two, with power and false wonders and deception. Verse ten of that chapter, those deception for those who are perishing, and here's the reason: because they refused to love the truth and so to be saved. And verse twelve follows up and says. Those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in sin. That's why they're going to be hardened. By the way, if God gives truth to people that are not going to get saved, He gives them more truth, they even, they're held responsible for even more. So in some sense, it's even merciful to not give people that are, ain't, that are not going to get saved more truth. It's interesting, right? Try to think of all these things. The, uh, Matthew 13 goes on. Indeed, uh, verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. They should see with their ears, with their eyes, lest they should hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Wow. Because they rejected the Lord, he uses parables to further confirm and solidify their rejection. Whew. Now, I know what you're thinking, because that's what I was thinking. How does election and human responsibility go together? How does predestination and human responsibility go together? I'm going to read what John MacArthur said. I like what he says. He believes in election. He believes the Bible teaches human responsibility. And here's, here's how he phrased it. And he was. this is from a sermon in 2013 on John chapter 3. Here's what MacArthur says. Jesus is talking to a non-believer, speaking of Nicodemus, and he presents to him the twin parallel truths of divine sovereignty and salvation and human responsibility. And he does it at the beginning of the conversation. This is a work of God, solely a work of God. Election, right? But you'll be held responsible if you do not believe, and you're called to believe. Eternal life awaits you if you will believe. These, are the tr these twin truths run parallel. So he's saying that divine sovereignty and human responsibility run parallel. Almost like parallel lines in math. Parallel lines never meet, by the way. Perpendicular lines do. Parallel don't. May I tell you, they will always run parallel, MacArthur says. They'll never come together. They'll never intersect. They'll never be diminished. They are what they are. The fact that you don't understand how they go together only proves that you are less than you should be. We're finite beings. How will we expect to understand all mysteries and all knowledge? How do you harmonize them? And you know, you're thinking you might, well, God holds people responsible for believing, but they're dead in sin. But then he elects people to salvation before the world began, yet he desires all men to be saved, come to knowledge of the truth. Whew. I don't know about you, but I can't figure it all out. But I, on this, I stick with MacArthur. He believes both. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. I stick, they call him Big Mac. Stick with Big Mac. I don't, I can't. They can't be harmonized in the human mind. The answer is to believe them both with all your heart. And the one, divine sovereignty, will inform your worship. The other, human responsibility, will motivate your evangelism. It's a good statement. Anyone who tries to harmonize these two, destroy one or the other or both of them. I've read enough systematic theologies where 
Somebody emphasizes one to the exclusion of the other, and they get off course. Brothers and sisters, you'll never understand that perfectly. Be glad that God elects people, because that means people really are going to get saved. When we get to that parable in a few minutes here, guaranteed that there's going to be people that are going to get saved. But then others won't. But God is sovereign over all of it. His word goes forth and does whatever he wants it to do. We're responsible just to give it out. And let God be God. Let God be God. The Apostle Paul didn't have it all figured out. Oh, he had a lot. He was under inspiration. He knew a lot. But he said in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No man can stand up and say he's got it all figured out. The Apostle Paul didn't have it figured out. He admitted it. Under inspiration, no less. All right. Now, let's finally get into the sermon. That, that was an introduction. Now, let's finally get down to the sermon. All right. Verse 8. Back to Matthew 13. Hear then the parable of the sower. Now, who's the sower? Who's the great sower of seeds? Well, the Lord, Jesus, was when he was on earth. Did he pass that sowing responsibility down to others? He trained 12 men to do it. So they're sowers. And then he, then Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. So who then does it get passed down to? They all have commanded you. And lo and with you, always to the end of the age, we're sowers. In a sense, we're sowers. We're little sowers. He's the great sower. We're little sowers. But yet we're sowers. Supposed to give that seed out, right? Anyway, then the parable of the sower. 37, he answered, the one who sows the good, no, I'm sorry, not verse 37, that's from, that's from Luke chapter 8. The, um, the sower is identified, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay? And you wonder, well, what's the seed? Obviously, the seed is the word of God. All right. So now, we're still introducing this. I forgot to mention this too before I, before I move on, actually. Verse 9, actually 19 of chapter 13. Watch this. John Piper's got a whole book called, Pro, uh, called Providence now. Great book. Big book. And um, Brother Galeazzo started reading it. Some people from Grace Church started reading it. Listen to what he says about Providence. This will help you. And about sovereignty. Watch this. This helps you with all of life, even the trials of life. Providence is the all-embracing, all-pervasive, It's, but when God turns the human will, there's a mystery to it that causes a person to experience God's turns as his own preference, an authentic, responsible act of the human will. God is guiding all humans in the universe, right? And yet, when he turns them, however he wants to turn them, they you know, really understand that it's them. They think it's them, at least. And so there's some kind of an interesting combination there. That's what Piper says. He's a, he's a big believer in, human, in, uh, in sovereignty. Um, as an authentic, responsible act of the human will, God is sovereign over man's preferences. Man is accountable for his preferences. Wow. Anyway, now let's move on. Now finally get to verse 19. What are the responses to the word of God? First one is, first one is a hard heart. First one is a hard Watch. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the devil, 
devil comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is, this is what is sown along the path. I've met some people recently. I talked to them about the weather, whatever else. And then I mentioned I'm a pastor. And then I start talking about Jesus or something. And they stopped. Even turned away from me. You know what that probably means? They've heard some of it before and rejected it. They don't want the truth. They don't like it. They may even hate it. And the devil's been crafty in their lives. So, so easily, they won't take a track from you. They won't take a Bible. They won't take a Jesus film. Why is that? Well, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Still dead in their sins, spiritually dead, even have been exposed to it, and they don't want it at this point. They don't want it. And brothers and sisters, it's not an intellectual problem. It's not because they're in special ed class. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. By the way, doesn't the devil have a terrible ministry? One of his ministries is to take away the Word of God from people. To put them in rebellion against God as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? As God said and all that, get them away from the truth. Feed them some lies and let them believe the lie and go away from God. Isn't that terrible? Aren't you glad that the devil's going to be thrown a lake of fire someday and be done? He's still around, no. He's like a what? He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Still. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. Even if our gospel is vain, God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and the image of God. We need to pray for people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Lord wants to, wants to pray for everyone, for people in authority. Because he desires, and that text says he desires all men to be saved, come to a knowledge of the, of the truth. He wants us to really pray for people. Pray, 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 and keep praying. Because we need the Lord. The Lord's the only one who can save people, right? They're dead in the of this world, and the prince of the power of the air. They're all messed up spiritually. We need the Lord. We need his Holy Spirit to do his work. So when you and I give him the word, the Holy Spirit's working. Praise God that God is the one who opens the minds of people and overcomes the devil's hold upon them. The Pharisees had these hard hearts. The Pharisees, right? And I was thinking of human sin. Mankind is so sinful, including us, aren't we? Aren't they? Think of the Pharisees for a second. They're seeing Jesus' miracles and they're still asking for a sign. They want more. And it's only a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, right? I've talked to people recently. Why doesn't, if Jesus comes down and appears to me right now, I'll believe. I said, he already did come down. And it's recorded. Not good enough. They want Jesus right. But you know what? The Pharisees and Herod had Jesus right there. And still, when the heart is hard. Weren't the Pharisees always testing Jesus? I want you to think about how evil human depravity is so bad. They're saying to the 
to the Messiah, the Lord of glory. Is it lawful for a man to divorce for any reason that we're all trying to trip Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? When Jesus healed the paralytic and forgave him of his sin, they accused him of what? Blasphemy. They accused Jesus of blasphemy. Mankind is sinful. And we're no better than anybody else. If the Lord didn't save us, we'd still be the same way. Even if we were religious, we're still against God. All have sinned and fall short. There's no one that does good, right? Romans chapter 3. They were saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman is touching him. You know, just always judging Jesus. You could have a whole sermon. Pharisee, judging Jesus by the Pharisees. Why did your teacher spend time with tax collectors and sinners? Because they need to get saved. And he came to seek and save the lost. That's why. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Oh, really? Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard. That's what they said of him. Some people tell me, ah, oh, there's so many Christian hypocrites. Yeah, there are. But can you say anything bad about Jesus? That's what I say to them. Tell me what you can Give me one thing. Nothing. So by the way, you give out the word of God, and even if that's the response, it's okay. Even if they persecute you, it's okay, isn't it? Aren't you blessed if you persecuted Jesus said? So, a certain amount of hearts are going to be hard hearts. God is even glorified in that. You did your job. God is even glorified in people rejecting him and eventually him judging them because he's so righteous and he's just. He even gets glorified in that. And that's all that counts. By the way, the universe is set up to glorify God. Amen? And you don't have to be mean to them. You don't have to say to the guy with the hard heart, you swine, no more pearls for you, buddy. No, you don't got to do that. You son of the devil. No. I'm going to pray for you, my friend. Leave it at that. And then go to somebody else because somebody else might be more open. Look at verse 20, Matthew 13. Second, the superficial heart. This guy is going to receive it with joy. They're going to be so excited about maybe he's at a crusade or something. It's like, oh, Jesus, I got Jesus. But watch what happens. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself but endures for a while when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately falls away. Now, before I get into that, I've seen that with my own eyes. And so have you, most of you. Somebody's come to Christ in a campus group or church, and they come for a couple of weeks, and then they just fall away. Not only do they not go to the church, you meet them on the street, they don't want to talk about the Lord anymore. They're done with it. I had a Jewish friend like that. He was reading the New Testament. He was excited. He even went to a New Testament church. And then he talked to his Jewish father. And it was done. His Jewish father must have said, hey, Jesus is not the Messiah. We're still waiting for the Messiah. Stop. And that guy stopped. It's sad when it happens because you get all excited for your friend. So it says here, he hears the word, immediately receives it with great enthusiasm. 
By the way, the word therefore receives is usually used of conversion. It's the same word used in John 1.12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So the guy really, really looks like it. He smells like he's getting saved. He looks like he got saved. But it's only a short-lived and temporary response. You say, is it a day? Is it a week? I, I don't know. I mean, the, the Bible doesn't specify how long. could be even longer. It could even be in church for a couple of months. Sometimes we don't know the real heart motive. There are guys come to churches just looking for women. Some guys, or women for that matter, just got saved, so to speak, or went down an aisle because they were dating somebody or they wanted to please their spouse. It looked like they got saved. So they can marry somebody. They're like somebody might come to the country trying to find a hubby to get citizenship, right? That happens. Who knows the real motive? But how, so how do you know that they're not for real? Trouble comes. Persecution. Somebody says to them, oh, now you're a Jesus freak? Their girlfriend leaves them or boyfriend leaves them. If you're going to keep going to church, we're done. We're done if you keep going to church. So what happens is if they're not real, they didn't really get saved, they really didn't get born again, it didn't take, the gospel didn't take root in their lives, as soon as these things happen, they're gone. First John, in 1 John it says, in chapter 2, they went out from among us because they were never of us. Some people leave and never come back. Now, could we still pray for somebody that flakes? I suppose. But those, you know, First John talks a lot about apostasy, so a lot of times, can somebody leave one church, go to another? Well, sure. But a lot of times when somebody really is apostatizing, so to speak, they leave the church, never come back to no church, no Bible, no Jesus, no nothing. And we've all seen that. You know, someone once came to George Whitfield. Now, he, George Whitfield was that great preacher in the, in the Great Awakening. And he preached the gospel to thousands, at a time even. And somebody said to him, how do you know how many converts you have? He said, I'll know in a couple of years. That's what he said. By the way, nothing wrong with crusades, nothing wrong with open-air preaching. Just do it the way the apostles did it, right? Nothing wrong with that. As long as we preach the same gospel, as long as we talk about the death and resurrection of Christ, the fact that he's God become man, and people need to repent and turn away from sin and place their full faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins. But you know what happens? Even if you preach the right way, if you have a crusade and all kinds of people come forward, I've seen too many times where they just say, you know, sign a card, pray a prayer. But it, and, and, you know, somebody might really be getting saved, but watch this. You don't want to say, and now you're all saved. We don't always know if they're all saved. I'd love to have a crusade and have 100 people come forward. And I would say 100 made professions. How about that? That's better. And over time, we'll see how many got saved. You don't want to just preach to have notches in your belt.
There are people sometimes they'll start reading the Bible, they'll go to church. A lot of times this happens with children. They're in Awana, they're in Word of Life, and you know, we give the gospel to them and we give them a we give them like a quickie kind of thing. Believe in Jesus, you're saved today, you get to go to heaven. Children, you'll you'll get away from the devil right now. What'd you do wrong? Oh, you didn't obey your parents, ask God to forgive you, believe in Jesus, saved. Careful of that. Because you know what happens? They did it when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then later on, they don't know the Lord from Adam. Did it when they were five, we think, ah, maybe they're saved. Careful. Be careful. Better that you pray for them. Pray for their real conversion. Amen? Pray for their real conversion. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Bad tree produces bad fruit. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And I'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. The bottom line is, when people don't really give their life to the Lord, they just keep living in sin. And there's no signs of real conversion. So that's the superficial heart. Verse 22, you say, does it get better? Well, we got, still got another negative one, verse 22. The last one's the good heart, the fruitful heart. Verse 22, the divided heart. So we already saw the hard heart, right? The superficial heart. Now we go to the divided heart. Oh, this is a sad one too. Watch. And what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches do what? Choke it. And it proves unfruitful. That doesn't sound like salvation to me, do you? Do you think that's salvation? Doesn't sound like it. So what messed the guy up? Worldly worries? So engrossed in this world, the materialism, the riches, the money, the fame, the fortune, the concerns about it. COVID, COVID in this time period has got so many people so worried. The unbelievers are so drowning in worries. I've seen people wearing masks in their own car. Nobody else is in the car. They're in the middle of the woods wearing masks, two masks. And it's like, gee, we're in the woods. Get some fresh air. You're going to die from something else. But, but seriously, people are worried about a lot of stuff, money, all kinds of stuff. And they might even want to hear the word, but they it just. Then we live in rich Long Island, and that's a problem too. Remember the rich young ruler? I think he exemplifies this. What good thing, Jesus, should I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And then he's like, ah, I kept the commandments. I kept this one, that one. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus really fingered his problem, right? Matthew 19, 20. The young man said, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? He thought he kept all the commandments. That's a problem. Jesus said to him, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When a young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He chose stuff over going to heaven? By the way, what's going to happen to his possessions when he dies? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, at that point, 
messed up the young, rich young ruler. So I'm thinking he got saved later. I don't know for sure. He didn't get saved. At that moment, he did not get saved. I think another text, if I remember right, says Jesus loved him. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And then this interesting statement, verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after these things. Gentiles, pagans, are hyper about stuff and worried about it. So whether they're rich or poor, the poor ones may be too worried about getting what they need, and the rich guys are stockpiling. Jesus said not to stockpile. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your Heavenly Father knows. Don't sweat it. Seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of you. By the way, I believe unbelievers certainly get the word choked out of their lives, but to some extent, believers do. I know even if this verse is not applying to believers directly, there's a certain principle there. Aren't there things that choke God's word in our lives if you get too worried about stuff, right? You don't even pray as much. Can a Christian start drinking and reading the Bible less? It's possible. It's possible. I've known believers that have, I know a strong believer that did that. Had a tragedy in his life. He went drinking. And then he got, he got out of drinking. Praise God, he's back on track. But he went drinking for a while. I know another brother that got discouraged. He was off track for years. He's back on track now. True believer got off track. Is there anything choking the word of God in your life today? Or recently? What is stopping you from meditating on the word of, word of God day and night? What's stopping you from fellowship with the saints? What's stopping you from prayer? What's stopping you from trusting God? Well, one thing would be the love of the world, as it says in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. That's the evil world system. That's not like necessarily nature. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then it's defined. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away in its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You say, my word, all these, all these are bad. The hard heart, that's bad. Satan takes away the word. The superficial one, we thought the guy got saved, and he didn't. And then others, we were thinking they got saved, and they got all choked out. All the cares of this world choked the word of God right out of their lives. Finally, verse 23. The fruitful heart. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and another thirty. This is the we want to make sure that we're this that we were this soil. Do you know today for sure that you've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior? You've been born again. God has began to transform your life. 
and you're yielding fruit for him. The fruit of the Spirit is obvious in your life to some extent, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Beatitudes are true of you to some extent, at least. That you're the meek of the earth now. and You like to tell other people about Jesus, even though you don't do it as much as you should. You do want to call out to God in prayer. You want to be with his people. You love the brethren. All signs of being a true believer. You're bearing fruit. Again, this helps us in our evangelism, though. When you and I evangelize, some people are not going to want it at all. Some are going to look like they want it. And then some, praise the Lord, some are going to be this category. You're going to witness. That's why it's exciting to witness. You're going to witness the people who are going to bear fruit. They might end up bearing more fruit than you did. They might end up preaching to more people than you, and praise God for that. Would to God a kid from our church would go forth and preach. We would want that. By the way, in a fruitful heart, the heart that's receptive to the word of God, God has prepared this heart, obviously, right? And they really repent. They really trust Christ. They become part of the fellowship. Just like in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the 3,000 that got saved on the day of Pentecost, nobody had to say to them, you got to go to church. you got to go to They wanted to go to church. Look at Susan shaking her head. You can't. She wants to go to church. She is so excited for the Lord. They want to be here. And they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowships, early church meeting together all the time. That's a sign of a true believer, usually. Can somebody fake it? Well, sure. But they bear fruit. And brothers and sisters, if we're saved, which we are by God's grace, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not by works as any man should boast. But then it says, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We're his masterpieces. We're something, a person he's worked on. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Hope bunch of good works should be coming out of our lives. Let your light shine before men. Do good. That's what God has for you, to bear fruit. And you and I are going to witness to people like this. So what should we do? I'll give you an illustration. Let's say America hits really hard times, and it's a famine. Everybody's got a couple of cans of SpaghettiOs left in their house. Oh, no, we left at that. Some of you don't know what SpaghettiOs are? It's kind of old stuff. You don't have much left at all, right? But let's say you and your wife, for some reason, had millions of seeds in your house so people could plant. It's the springtime. Everybody's starving. Wouldn't you make little bags of seeds and go to your neighbors? Could you picture yourself doing it? I hope you would. You'd be really selfish if you didn't. Keep all these seeds to myself. You're going to your neighbors and giving them out. You're giving them out in church. You're giving them to people in church to give out to people in their neighborhood, right? Because you don't want people to what? Die of starvation. Well, you know what I'm going to say, right? Spiritual analogy. Like Jesus does, right? Don't we have something that people need? Do you feel sad for the lost? Ah, God's going to save who's... 
He is going to save who he's going to save, but you shouldn't have a cavalier attitude toward it. He is sovereign. There's human responsibility. And he uses means. That's us. What about the fact that people who don't believe in Jesus will go to hell forever? The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. The worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Daniel chapter 12, some will go to eternal life, some to eternal punishment. Can you think of some people right now that you're concerned about? Relatives, neighborhood, job. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is a time like never before to get the seed out. I was going to say throw it. Don't throw the Bible at people. But you know what I mean. Get those seeds. Put them all over the place. You say, but there's some soils. God's responsible for who gets saved. Amen? we got to get the seed out before it's too late. Did you see those two guys that came to our church, Corey and Holden? Isn't it incredible how they want to go to a place where people haven't heard. See, they want to get the seed to people who haven't heard, haven't even heard about the seed. The gospel. Well, I'll tell you about George Whitfield and we'll close. George Whitfield, interesting guy. In the year of 1739, they estimated that during that year, he preached to 650,000 people per month. 22,000 a day? Guess how many times he crossed the Atlantic? He was a guy from England. How many times did he cross the Atlantic to be able to preach the gospel in America and back in England and America? And 13 times. And he didn't fly in a nice jet. Some people get serious. The harvest is plentiful. What's, what's the rest of it? The laborers are few. Jesus said that. Pray. Praise God. We have missionaries come. We support some missionaries. But every one of you is a precious sower. I'm going to encourage you. You are a precious commodity in your neighborhood. You got the truth that can set people free. You've got the gospel that's the power of God and the salvation. You know the Savior, the Deliverer. You know the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Think of what you have. And think of the command. Go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations. Sheila and I were just in a Chinese restaurant. We're going to do We're going to go to ethnic restaurants. You, see, why do I like to do that? Well, if we go to a Thai restaurant, we get a chance to give the gospel to Thai people. That's exciting. I find that exciting. I don't know if I want to go to, you know, Afghanistani restaurant because I don't know what they serve, but maybe we should. And when you see people, People should be like a magnet. People need the Lord. I know he wants us to give the gospel to people. 
That's why Wednesday nights we've been doing a class on evangelism. The books came in. And this Tuesday night, if you want to actually go out, before I forget, now we're starting to apply it, then we'll pray, then we'll have Brother Josh come up. Um, this Tuesday, 7 o'clock, 6.30 to 7, we pray. 7, whoever's with me, we go out. If I'm here by myself, I go out. And we witness somewhere. Got some ideas for that, okay? Is this the last Tuesday of the month? I think it is. So the last Tuesday of every month we want to do this. And we can, if you can't make it that Tuesday, there's other times if you want to go out, let me know. I, I want to go out with, with, you, with you guys. Let's pray.